This is Inquisitive Black Girl Podcast. Colorism is one of those topics that will always be relevant, especially when we, Black Americans, are in the midst of dismantling structural racism, white supremacy, and all those things that are hindering us from being our best selves. And to dig a little deeper into the subject, I have today with me activist, researcher, and educator, Dr. Layla Brown-Vincent. She is a professor of Africana Studies at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, a proud alum of North Carolina Central University, and she earned her PhD from Duke University, where her research focused on Black racial identity formation in Latin America and in the U.S., and its impact on Black radical organizing in the era of Black Lives Matter. And I also interviewed some peers. So without further ado... Let's get into it. What is your opinion on the current state of Black America? <laughs> um, that is a really broad question. And I, it, it depends on what you're asking about. Um, I mean, I think politically, we're in quite a conundrum. Um, I think people are super excited about the election and I guess in a sense, in the sense that anything's better than Donald Trump, I guess. Um, but I am not, I don't share the same excitement over Kamala Harris and Joe Biden that others do because I just see them as a sort of continuation of business as usual. And I think sort of because of the economy, um, because of COVID, you know, I think we're in a worse state than we've been in in, in quite a while, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are like, they don't really know how to, like, me personally, I don't know how to feel about the current state of Black America. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know who to trust anymore. <laughs> like, I'm just here trying to survive at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the topic today is colorism. For the listeners who don't know, what are the origins of colorism? I mean, the the origins of colorism sort of come out of the same kinds of um, the same kinds of structures that produce anti-blackness um, in the world. So the the systems of colonialism, slavery, um, and you know, a part of what sort of happened with colorism is that as the sort of hard lines between uh, black and white, enslaved and free started to, you know, dissolve some, um, you know, people who were in control, white, wealthy, land-owning men, had to find other ways of creating um, and maintaining mechanisms of control. Um, And so a part of what begins to happen is that uh, rather than white and black simply being the, the line, those who have sort of proximity to whiteness um, and those who have or sort of sort of the furthest away from whiteness experience different kinds of um, social mobility, different kinds of acceptance in society at large. And so, you know, quite often those on the spectrum who are, like I said, in closer proximity to whiteness reap more benefits of of what whiteness might be in that society. And those who sort of are further away from that have the experiences that are much more like what we understand the experiences of Blackness or the sort of formerly enslaved um, to be. 
And in what ways do colorism affect the Black community economically, socially, and politically? Uh, I mean, you know, (laughs) the answer to that is in every way. Uh, You know, I think there are... There's a difference between, you know, sort of preference and color, right? Because colorism is about sort of structural issues. Um, So, you know, there have been studies that have demonstrated that darker skinned men and women, but women in particular, are considered less sort of marriageable, um, have more difficulty in securing employment, um, even sort of notions of fear, right? Like they're, the, the way we sort of understand light and dark or white and black within this kind of Judeo-Christian cosmology, even dark darkness is sort of associated with the unknown, the sort of negative things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and light is sort of associated with enlightenment or knowledge or freedom or purity. Um, and those things kind of translate from the language they translate into our experiences and how, you know, how we interact with one another. So I would say that, you know, you would be hard pressed to find a place where colorism does not impact our lives. However, you know, we, we live sort of varied lives and there are always a, a confluence of things that are working on us at any given time. So, you know, you might be a dark skinned person that has, you know, money and education. And so you might be able to sort of move um, in and out of circles in a different way than a poor or dark skinned person might. Right. But in general, in the same way that blackness sort of operates, it's, it's really inescapable. Do you think it's by any coincidence that, um, for example, like when we're talking about politics, like Kamala Harris and Barack Obama, like how they're fair skinned. Do you think that there will ever like we will ever see a, a time where there will be a dark skinned black man in a position of power or a dark skinned black woman in a position of power like that? Um, I think that's hard to say. Uh, I do think, though, that the particularities of Kamala Harris and and Barack Obama um, go beyond their sort of skin color, right? I mean, I think a part of what makes um, Barack Obama and Kamala Harris palatable to the sort of larger um, black, uh, sorry, sorry, larger American public has to do with the fact that not only are they light-skinned, but they also are of mixed racial heritage. And not just mixed in terms of like white and black, but also a mixed sort of cultural, national, ethnic heritage, right? So they have a a different kind of experience with blackness, right? And I want to be really careful because I don't, I do not really support this notion of, you know, I'm not really a supporter of the sort of ADOS school of thought. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that there are many and multiple ways to be and experience Blackness. But the difference that I think um, exists with Kamala Harris and and Barack Obama is that they don't carry the same baggage with whiteness that I think, you know, the vast majority of Black Black people in the U.S. do. And so I think both their, their, their light skin fairness is tied to, I think, our sort of um, kind of celeb- cult of celebrity, um, beauty, uh, our sort of attachments to beauty, right? And mm-hmm. so, yes, people will say, you know, Kamala's easy on the eyes, Barack Obama's handsome. Um, but I think it's both their light skinness and their particular sort of historical kind of cultural, national, 
origins that make them palatable. And it's I, it's hard to say if there will be a dark-skinned Black person in that position anytime soon. So what role would you say the media plays in colorism today? I mean, again, the media is sort of an, an organ. It, it, it both reflects what society, you know, um, sort of what society's values are, but then, but then it also sort of dictates it, right? Um, I think for the most part, we, you know, and and the media is all kinds of things, right? Um, I mean, I think we have what uh, Joy Reid is maybe one of the few examples of a darker skin um, black woman who has a sort of national platform on, on news. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even in, even in movies, right. Um, so many times um, when black characters are cast, particularly black women, um, they are typically sort of Brown, curly haired, racially ambiguous, often mixed um, mm-hmm. of mixed racial heritage. Um, and so, you know, that that kind of dominates the, the picture of blackness in um, sort of mainstream media. Right. And, I, and obviously there are plenty of sort of mediums and modes where people are trying to push push beyond that. But I still do think the sort of dominant trend is towards um, a, a lighter, more racially ambiguous blackness um, and as opposed to a darker skin, kinkier hair kind of blackness. Mm-hmm. And. What is the difference between colorism and preference? And what role would you say colorism plays in marriage? <laughs> uh, so, so, okay, those are, those are questions that I have to separate. So the, the first one, the difference between colorism and preference, right? So, I mean, I, I, I tell this to my students often, um, which is I make the same distinction between, between sort of racism and um, and what do you call it? What's the other word? <laughs> I keep thinking of the parallel. Um, and sort of bigotry or or prejudice, right? Mm-hmm. The thing about racism and colorism is that they, they're structural, right? There there are ways in which they impact the the quality of our lives in terms of employment, in terms of housing, in terms of the way we're treated by our doctors, um, in terms of the way we're taken seriously. And preference is just that. Like, you know, for the most part, I tell my students, I don't give a damn if you don't like me, if you don't think I'm pretty, if you, you know, if you don't like the fact that I'm black, that has no bearing on me. What does have bearing on me is if you're not liking me because I'm black or because I'm browner skin has some, some structural impact on my life. That's when it matters. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference between, um, uh, colorism and preference right um but the thing is you know we we also have to be careful about um i mean there are such things as preference but we are but our preferences are also dictated by what we are exposed to right and i mean so constantly watching you know these kind of disney uh uh versions of relationships that always show either white women or light-skinned women as desirable and never show darker-skinned women as desirable, it creates a a particular kind of ethos in the environment. And so from childhood, unless your parents or someone around you is sort of pushing back against that, then you have been taught through through your family, through the media, through all kinds of things that that dark skin is not desirable. 
And so our, our preferences aren't just these kind of innate things. Our preferences are shaped by our lived experiences. And so, I mean, I think, you know, with marriage, I mean, the thing is, there are absolutely people who find dark-skinned people attractive and who, who, even, who even have a preference for dark-skinned people. But I do think that because of the sort of long trajectories of structural inequality based on sort of race and color, there's still a preference towards people who will help us produce uh, children in the world who, and maybe for for good and bad reasons, right? You know, people who um, are dark skinned and experience persecution because of their dark skin, uh, I I won't say rightfully so, but understandably so, um, might want to have children with a lighter skinned person so that their child doesn't experience the same kinds of um, subjugation that they did, right? And that doesn't necessarily come from a place of self-hatred. It comes from a place of understanding, you know, what they experienced and how hard it was, right? Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's it's really, com- it's really a complicated issue. Um, but I think what's always important is that, you know, our preferences are are shaped by sort of these historical factors and the kind of contemporary contours of society. And I don't think we can ever understand any of our preferences as completely separate from those things. Okay. And this is, this is kind of off topic, but kind of similarly related. So I'm just going to ask, do you think one can truly be pro-Black and date white or non-black people. <laughs> um, I think you. I think you can date um wh- white or non-black people and be pro-black. The issue for me is um, when you only date white or non-black people, or when your reason for dating white or non-black people has to do with some. Uh, deficit that you understand Black people to have. And I think we have to constantly interrogate that, right? When we when we fall into traps like things like Black women have bad attitudes or, you know, Black men struggle with employment. And these and it's true that Black men do struggle relatively with employment, right? But if, if there are these sort of um, these uh, these factors that make you write off Black people as an entire group, you, I think there is some self-interrogation that has to happen um, for you to be able to say, you know, what is it about the group that I belong to and why don't I find people within my own group desirable, right? Um, you know, because I think, you know, love, relationships, whatever, they're, they're, they're quirky, they're tricky, like all kinds of things happen. We find ourselves in interesting situations and we, and we relate to people on so many different levels. So I think it's possible. But I would, I would say that a person who has a pattern of dating white or non or non black people, I I would I would question um, what kinds of other things are going on with them um, mm-hmm. if they say that they're pro black and yet have and yet seem unable of um, or incapable of seeing black people as desirable as partners in life. Mm-hmm. And you studied race in Latin America. Mm-hmm. What did colorism look like? for those particular groups? Is it similar to what we experience here in the U.S.? You know, I think in some ways, perhaps it's worse, right? So the some of the differences, 
um, between the way race is constructed in the U.S. and Latin America, right? So, you know, in the U.S., we have this thing that we call the one drop rule, right? Uh, the, or the rule of hypo descent, which essentially understands blackness as a contaminant, right? So any mixture, any known mixture of blackness makes you black, right? And so, you know, you can be as light as Lena Horn, um, or I'm trying to think of other light skin uh, <laughs> figures. I don't know why it's not coming to my mind, but you can be very, very light skin, very, very fair with very fine hair. But because of the the sort of hardline um, uh, categories of black and white in the U.S., you you still sort of fit within the category of black, right? In the in the Latin American context, um, race is more along a sort of a continuum, a color continuum. And so essentially um, you, you still have the same kind of stacked hierarchy, right? With white people on top and black and indigenous people on the bottom. But what happens is that there's more of a, a, a sort of buffer class. There's more possibility for movement um, in, in between those groups, right? And so, and, and one of the reasons why that is, is because, in the sort of Latin American territories, which would be, you know, French, Spanish, Portuguese speaking territories under the rule of the Catholic Church, um, there were laws that actually permitted people to purchase certificates of, of blood purity, right? Limpieza de sangre um, from the Catholic Church. And so there is this um, slightly different um, way of sort of belonging um, to racial groups, right? And so that's why you have, you know, in the U.S., the the the, the category of mixed is, you know, a relatively, it's, it, mixed people are not new, right? But our sort of common use of, of mixedness in, in sort of the cultural landscape is is newer in the U.S. Whereas in, Latin, in the Latin American context, there's always been these sort of, um, categories in between like Moreno, um, which are these kind of brown categories in between black and white. The trick is that they're always still understood as an admixture of blackness, right? And so while they may offer some um, benefits in that they are slightly above the category of black, they still are not. They still are not white, right? And so there, there is, there still represents this sort of similar ascendancy to whiteness, right? This sort of desired, uh, the the desiredness of whiteness. Um, and so, I mean, you know, this despite the, I think some of the the complexities, I find that that race and color operate basically the same in Latin America and the U.S., despite all the different, you know, in, in the Latin American context, there are, you know, in some places there are 32 or 64 different names for racial admixtures, right? Whether that's, you know, um, half Indian, half Black, uh, or, you know, uh, a quarter um, African, one-eighth, you know, indigenous, right? So there, there are all these different names for all these categories. We didn't have that in the U.S. context, in the sort of Protestant um, religious traditions in the U.S. We didn't have all those admixtures, but we still see the um, the preference for, for whiteness and, you know, the, the denigration of blackness. Um, I don't know if you are up on, like, the current social media climate, but there's this singer slash rapper named Danny Lay and she is she 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 defines herself as Dominican Mm -hmm. um and she had a song 
she posted like a clip of her song called Yellow Bone is What He Wants. Mm-hmm. And she's dating this rapper, The Baby. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Black Twitter just went crazy and you know they dragged her mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know they said how they felt and she she felt really attacked by it mm. and then she came back and she tried to apologize but it was it was terrible mm-hmm. it was a terrible apology did you did you catch that i watched it all <laughs> i saw it all oh my god it was it was nuts um and I think it was even more controversial because the baby's baby mama mm-hmm. is a brown skinned woman. Mm-hmm. So for her to say, you know, yellow bone is what he wants, is mm-hmm. kind of like a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. People took it like that. What What do you think about that? You know, there are a lot of there are a lot of things to say about this because I, I, you know, I think the first thing, right. You know, a part of kind of hip hop culture is dissing, right? Like that's 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 what we do, you know, mm-hmm. and on all. So like, I can maybe understand that maybe she thought she was just you know putting out a diss track as whack as it was. Um, but no, I mean it's it's actually terrible. It sounds just 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 um. <laughs> In terms of the music, her voice like it's actually a terrible song. So that also didn't help her. Um, yeah. but the issue, um, with yellow bone is what he wants, because this is what she seemed to not understand because she said, I think she said something like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm light skin, I'm yellow bone. And so like, I'm just talking about myself. And while that may be true, the, the issue is that structurally in society, there's a preference toward light skin. Right. And so the reason why, Beyonce makes a song like Brown Skin Girl and doesn't necessarily highlight light skinned women in, in in at least not in the in the um what do you call it in the words of the song is because we know that there's that the that the tendency the preference is already towards light skinned women right so light skinned women are already venerated like they don't they don't necessarily need that that sort of extra push in the same in the same way or I shouldn't say same in a, in a similar way to the reason why Black Lives Matter as a phrase means something something is because there's already a presumption that it doesn't right the white the the there it's already understood that white lives matter so there's no need to make that declaration and so that's that's what where i think danny lay is kind of tone deaf she doesn't i don't think she has a you know a, a, a clear enough grasp of the kind of implications the other thing that kind of complicates this is her dominican heritage right um mm-hmm. and you know, again, so many things to say about this. The Dominican Republic is a very interesting place, um, particularly as it pertains to race. Um, it's one of the probably most studied places in Latin America in thinking about the question of blackness, because the island is really made up of about 70 to 80 percent people of African descent, right? Mm. The issue with the Dominican Republic is that uh, is is its relationship to Haiti, right? So it has this, you know, long kind of contentious relationship with Haiti, um, and it, it's so it's so contentious, right? That even you know the it, there in some places in some communities, uh, Dominican independence is celebrated from Haiti rather than from Spain. And the reason why that is, is because when when Toussaint L'Ouverture um, helped, you know, 
lead the Haitian Revolution, one of his sort of first acts was to end the institution of slavery across the entire island, right? And so in some Spaces there, there was a short span of time where where Haiti sort of had dominion over the island, right? And that and this is kind of understood by Dominic, some uh, right wing Dominican nationalists as a as a kind of secondary colonization. Um, and so the the and but particularly under the dictatorship of Rafael Trujillo, there is this particular brand of anti anti Haitianism or anti Haitian. Uh, right? Um, where Trujillo creates um, Dominicanness vis-a-vis Haitianness, right? And Haitianness is understood as Black, as 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 African, as Black, as dark, as voodoo, as you know, all of these things, right? And Dominican is understood as Spanish and white and Catholic, um, and mm-hmm. so uh, you know, despite the fact that the vast majority of people in the Dominican Republic are of African descent, this particular kind of nationalistic right wing history makes it such that um, racial identity in the Dominican Republic often, again, disassociates itself with blackness, and often people will identify as. Um, Taino, which is uh, one of the indigenous groups um, that that historically and you know currently exist on the island, um, and so what what and then what that looks like in the U.S. right is that you know many many Dominicans um, disidentify with blackness right, um, mm-hmm. and so a lot of black people in the U.S. have these sort of negative experiences with Dominicans and and particularly negative negative racialized experiences with Dominicans. I personally, like I spent six months in the Dominican Republic in 2006 studying abroad, and it was one of the most racially traumatic experiences I've ever had. And it's, <laughs> and it's actually the thing that kind of set me on my path to study race in Latin America, because I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Southerner. I'm from North Carolina. And mm-hmm. I just had never experienced sort of racial discrimination and anti-Blackness of the particular kind that I did growing up in the U.S. in the way that I did in my time in the DR. And so it's, it's just, it's a very special place. And Danny Lee, Danny Lay cannot, um, I can't imagine whether, whether she's aware of it or not, that she doesn't carry that baggage. Right. Yeah. I, I think she's kind of, well, you know, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, she doesn't really seem like you know, based off her apology, you know, it doesn't really seem like she meant any harm, but it's like you can't be oblivious mm-hmm. to like all of this stuff. It's kind of hard to when there was a whole, you know, Black Lives Matter revolution going on outside during quarantine and, you know, these Dominicans. So she should know what, what goes on out there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, um, hopefully. She does her research on the topic and educates herself further so she'll, you know, have a better understanding of where her audience is coming from. For sure. And I think people have a right to be mad. That's the thing. You know, when you when you when you put yourself out there on the public platform, people have a right to respond. And, you know, mm-hmm. people don't want to hear what she had to say, let alone <laughs> that trash song. So right. <laughs> Yeah, man. It was it was it was interesting. And it's it's just, you know, it's good that people are talking about it. At mm-hmm. least we're having these conversations, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your opinion, what steps can we take 
to stop the evolution of colorism here in the U.S. and, you know, for those other countries mentioned previously? I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm a teacher, right? I, I come from three generations of teachers. My mother was an adult educator. My grandmother was a high school social studies teacher. So for me, I mean, I think one of the most fundamental things is, is educating ourselves and those around us about the, the histories and the implications of these things. Right. I mean, I think, you know, when people encounter people that they're close to who negatively experience these things, you know, people often maybe take it a bit more seriously. But I think that we have to get beyond a place where we have to experience something ourselves or it has to impact someone close to us for us to understand its importance. And I think we only really do that through education. Um, you know, and I think we constantly question things like, you know, with my nephews, I have I have two older nephews, 21 and 22. And, you know, when I when I see girls that they like, um, even when they were younger, I would always inquire, uh, you know, about, you know, what they liked about them. And I would ask them questions, of, you know, because their mothers is, is the, both of their mothers are dark, dark skinned women. And I would ask them, you know, do you not find girls who, who look similar to your mother attractive? Um, and, you know, and I think you have to you have to make people question these things, because, again, like I said, you know, we often think our preferences are apolitical. We think they're unconnected to things. And then and then we realize we're sort of perpetuating some of the same um, problems. And so I think we have to call it out where we see it. And I think we have to educate ourselves and others about it. And, and you know, when we're with our friends, you know, we, we do actually have to, you know, pause when we make these sort of racialized uh, colorist jokes. And I, you know, I think we're all probably guilty of it at some point in time, one way or the other. Right. Um, and I think we have to, you know, constantly be aware of those things and question them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Dr. Layla Brown, thank you so much for sharing your insight on this podcast. And hopefully we will have you on another episode soon. All right. Thank you for having me. So, of course, colorism impacts brown-skinned people of all shades in some form or fashion. So I want to bring out some interesting people to share their experiences and opinions on the topic. Hey, girl. Thank hey. you for joining with us today. Drop your name, your handle, tell the people what you do, where you're from. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an honor. Um, my name is Paige. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at follow underscore my underscore page, P-A-I-G-E underscore L-O-L. Um, I'm in sales. I'm an artist, born 1990, uh, born in New York, but raised in North Carolina, North Kakeleke. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I definitely feel you on that. Um, I was definitely conceived in Brooklyn and raised in Durham, North Carolina. So shout mm -hmm. out. We can folk nice. out here. We cousins, we cousins. <laughs> so the topic today is colorism. Tell us how you feel about it. Absolutely. Um, so for me, honestly, I feel like colorism, it's something that's taught. It's hateful. And in my opinion, most people of darker skin complexions are typically the like the victim of it. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's something that still exists today. 
And we have to like find a cure or find a way to just cure this and end this once and for all. Definitely. So that's my take on colorism. Definitely. Has it affected your life in any way or has it even affected your love life? Uh, definitely. You know, I have like, I've dealt with colorism at a young age and, you know, I got used to hearing hateful things about myself and mm -hmm. over time, I've built confidence in myself to know that I am beautiful, but it wasn't easy. You know, I, I really mm -hmm. had a low self-esteem growing up. And for a really long time, I just had to really reteach myself how to love myself. Mm -hmm. So with colorism, it's definitely taught me to be strong. Um, I had to educate myself as well on what colorism is, you know, and why some of us are dark, why some of us are light. And obviously it all stems from slavery and racism. So, and as far as my love life, well, you know, it forced me to choose a side, you know, being called names, ugly, dark, burnt biscuit, whatever you, you know, all the ugly names under the sun, like they were calling me crazy names. And typically I was getting picked on by lighter skinned people, people, you know, kids that were lighter than me, um, even dark skinned people. But at some point, you know, I had to just kind of, I, I had to just, I had to get away from that. But for me, I felt like I needed to just retaliate by only dating dark skinned dudes. Mm -hmm. So it, that's kind of how it affected me. I found myself just choosing a side and it, it's forced me to do that. As an adult now, I know that it played a part of colorism, but I mean, could you even blame me being called those types of names? And then, you, you know, like I had to choose a side. So I just kind of just sided with my dark skinned people and I just just ended up dating nothing but dark skin dudes. So that's just, that was just me. Mm -hmm. So what is your opinion of people who prefer one color over the other within the black community or even one race over their own? Yeah, honestly, you know, to me, I just feel like those people are, they're the problem. You know, they choose that behavior because something is obviously off and, you know, they were taught or conditioned to think that way. That's what they choose to do. And those kind of people, they probably have dealt with like some type of traumatic experience or something in them is just off to make them believe that really like one race or one type of color is better than the other. That's just off to me. So, you know, I feel like this is just, it's nothing but self-hatred. You have dark-skinned dudes or dark-skinned women who, you know, only go for light dudes or li white dudes or white girls or white light-skinned girls because, you know, they probably had their own colorism issues, you know, and mm -hmm. that's just, they just need to be re-educated, you know, and sometimes in that situation, you know, when your race, when your race doesn't have your back, you tend to turn your back on your own race and lose your own identity. Mm -hmm. But we all need each other. Black men need black women and black women need black men. We all got to just stick together. Like, it's time. Yeah, I definitely identify with feeling neglected by black men mm -hmm. just seeing like all of the negativity on social media negative mm -hmm. comments in regards to black women it's ugly yeah and you know i'm sure a lot of black women can identify with like that feeling of just like oh you know what i'm gonna say fuck a daquan i'm gonna get mm -hmm. me a tyler or mm -hmm. a brad a jake <laughs> and you <laughs> tyler. know tyler yeah, like, and it's not even how we really feel. Like, yeah. a lot of us really do love Black men, and we just want them to love us the same way that we love them. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So what is your advice to people who may have felt victimized by colorism or may be dealing with it now? You know, for myself, you know, me being dark skinned, you know, I had to just build confidence in myself, you know, just build confidence, know that you're beautiful, of course, and also just educate yourself. It's very important that you educate yourself on the history of black people and like in a whole because colorism stem from slavery. We all know that, but it's very important that you educate yourself so that you can educate others because there are a lot of ignorant people out there that just only know their world and they'll just stick to that. They'll just be stuck on that. It's very important for you to just, for one, have confidence and to educate yourself because those people are a lost cause. So you just got to have that confidence in yourself and just know <laughs> these people are ignorant and they're, and they're just, there's no hope for them. So that's my answer to, to those types of people. Well, Thank you so much for joining us today and being vulnerable and sharing your impactful story because I'm sure somewhere in this world, somebody can relate to your experience. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for having me. It was truly an honor. Thanks for joining us today. Tell the people what you do, where you're from. So um, I go by the name of Eli Rock. I am a creative out of Brooklyn. Uh, I run a company called Morehouse Entertainment, where we host and create um, original content from you know other artists such as myself. And uh, you can follow me at sliced bread number two on Instagram or Eli Rock on Twitter. So the topic today is colorism. Tell us how you feel about it, and have you ever experienced it? Yeah, man. Uh, I think colorism is terrible, honestly. Um, I don't really respect it in any way. I understand that it's a thing that will continue to exist long after now. Um, It's going to be hard to stop. And it's just unfortunate, honestly. And have you ever experienced it in any way? Me, personally, I haven't experienced colorism. Not from... Not from other black people, at least, like white people, obviously, but that's like more so racism in a, in a sense. But um, luckily, I haven't experienced colorism from other black people. I've seen it and it was just always very confusing to me. It was just weird. Mm. And what is your opinion on people who prefer one color over the other within the black community or even one race over their own? Um. So... Um. All right, so say you're a black person that prefers to date black people. I'm actually all for that because that's personally how I get down myself. I understand it completely, even if it's a white person and he's like, I only date white people, more power to you. I, I like that you don't fetishize black women. Um, That's cool with me because that's usually what they do, but whatever. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, that's where that is really like, like people that prefer to date a certain color of person or a different race of person that's goofy as hell that's so weird and same goes for any other race like preferring to date outside your race or preferring a person to be a certain shade is it's a little off i don't know oh yeah <laughs> and in your opinion how do we as individuals stop the evolution of colorism eh. Can't really. <laughs> Can't. Like, the best thing we can do 
is, you know, us as individuals not be colorist. Outside of that, I mean, there's nothing we can do. Like, it's just going to always be that way because we as humans, we're imperfect. So we like to uh, judge or just see, like have these things and co- cover them up as preferences or whatever. It's just human nature. Thanks for joining us today. Tell the people what you do, where you're from. I'm Taylor Bridges. Um, I work in the tech industry in operations specifically. Um, I'm from Houston, Texas. I recently moved to New York approximately a year ago, and now I'm residing in Bed-Stuy. My Instagram handle is at Taylor, C as in color, Bridges. Taylor C. Bridges. So today's topic is colorism. Tell us how you feel about it. You know, I feel that colorism is a prevalent, disgusting virus. A virus is a microscopic parasite that lacks the capacity to thrive and reproduce outside of a host body. I equate colorism to a virus because it's only realized and born from within. It's an internal reaction to the external. And it's not that brown-skinned people are actually inferior or less capable or less beautiful than light-skinned people. It's just a colorist warped narcissistic perspective that contributes to them genuinely exuding distaste, disdain, and superiority to someone with darker skin. Colorism exists in pretty much all cultures. But being black, I'll speak for my cultural experience solely. Colorism in the black community comes from other races and cultures, and immensely, though, from the black community itself, which is more disheartening than the former. Within our community, the colorism translates into self-hate. And have you ever experienced colorism in any way? Well, I've experienced colorism through a privileged lens. Being of a lighter complexion, my skin tone is mostly praised, or at least not criticized like my darker skin sisters. I think I've experienced reverse colorism, if that's a thing. Guys approach me and consider courting me literally because of my skin tone before knowing anything about my values and culture. Even my actions are deemed so softer and being crazy is sexualized by men, whereas darker tones get labeled angry and aggressive and treated as if they're more masculine than the average woman. And that's the thing. They're treated as less than average. It's disgusting. Other than in my dating life, I do also experience this reverse colorism in corporate and in everyday life in very similar ways, as I just mentioned. I'm close to white skin, so I'm looked at as a less intimidating, more pleasant black person. My partner is dark and I anticipate bearing brown and dark skin beauties. And one of my little sisters has darker skin. And though I'm not privy to negative experience she may have encountered thus far in her life, I definitely don't put it past her to have dealt with some of the BS. When she was younger, I was worried about struggles she could possibly face, genuinely. She looked up to me, copied everything I did, talked all the time about wanting to be just like me. But I knew there was a possibility our same actions could yield different maybe even opposite reactions from others. I wanted to shield her, but in a huge way, it's, it's working backwards doing that. Dark-skinned babies and children shouldn't be raised to protect themselves from colorism, but rather taught to love their own skin, defend their beautiful melanin confidently, walk esteemed in any space knowing they are stunning and born of a regal heritage, all the while unconsciously proving colorists to be prejudiced, ignorant, and vile. I feel, I feel privileged even speaking on this as a light-skinned woman, and I'm honestly embarrassed by the amount of grace I receive.
And how do you feel about people who prefer one color over the other within the black community or even one race over their own? I feel like having a preference and attraction to a certain type of person is certainly valid and fair, so long as it's not discriminatory. You can like light-skinned women without degrading, discounting, and outright dismissing dark-skinned women simply because they're dark. The same theory applies to black people dating outside our race. It's not so much that black women's pickings are so slim that it causes us to not like our black men dating other. It's just that our black men date other races sometimes and praise these women while bashing and downplaying us black women. That's what we see a lot. It's more digestible to see a black man with a non-black woman all while working alongside and showing love, respect, and appreciation to black women. That's it. That's all we want. And I don't know why that's such a hard concept for guys to understand, black men to understand. It's that simple, really. Love who you love without disrespecting us. If anything, leave us the hell out of it. Period. <laughs> and in your opinion, what do you feel we can do to stop the evolution of colorism? You know, I believe we can stop the evolution of colorism by continuously engaging in these conversations for more insight, perspective, and learning opportunities. I love dark-skinned people and I'm utterly disappointed by how the world and our culture exhibits cruelty and discrimination towards dark women. I'll never feel what they feel, but I'm truly an advocate and supporter of their value, beauty, and superiority. I think colorism will immensely evolve once the black community uproots the self-hatred towards dark people. The virus is within, so it's bound to spread externally. We can't be upset that other cultures treat us how we treat ourselves. Uproot the self-hate and implement the all-encompassing love. The world will certainly adapt. In conclusion, colorism is here, and the only thing we can really do to fight against it is to continue the dialogue, call people out when you see colorism taking place, and educate with love, and understand that it isn't going to go away overnight. But it is our job as a people to continue to educate ourselves, think better, and do better. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope that you can take something positive from this episode, share it with your friends and family members who you feel may need a little colorism education, and stay tuned for the next episode. If you guys want to stay connected and be updated on what's going on with the podcast or even DM me questions for the Ask Ziggy segment, follow me on Instagram at inquisitiveblackgirl and subscribe to my YouTube channel at inquisitiveblackgirl. Hope to talk to you guys soon.